Again the beginner, beginning again Alive at the altar with nothing to spend I spend my life moving, beginning to end Again and again the beginner myself I'd never be bitter again and again and again still as a snake with the skin of a quitter I shed it like liquid and, and Steve Hashimoto was more known in the jazz scene but he could play anything and he has that that wonderful childlike wonder that I described a few minutes ago but he was I didn't want somebody to just lock in some kind of basic rock or country groove. I wanted mm-hmm. somebody who could play around. On this episode bit. of Playtime, we talk with singer-songwriter Al Rose. A heads up to listeners, there will be some explicit language in this program. This show does not censor artists. That said, gather the kids in the room. They might just learn something. I'm your host, W.C. Kerr. Again and again and again. I hold up my cards with the grin of a winner. I feel my heart bluffing with a liar's refrain. My chips disappear down the gambler's drain. Again the beginner, beginning again. Alive at the altar with nothing to spend. I spend my life moving, beginning to end. Again and again, the beginner. I'm holding on tight while the backlash delivers again and again and again. not so simple framing Al Rose's music in terms of simple genres. Singer Magazine in June 2003 put it this way, listening to Al Rose is like standing in a huge gallery of abstract art. As you stare up at the paintings entitled Egg Me On, New Coat of Paint, and Random Hollow Diesel Train, you can't help but wonder, am I the only one who gets or doesn't get this? His music flows like a Williams Carlos Williams poem with buckets of Americana modernism and with the lyrical non sequiturs of a collage by Chicago artist Tony Fitzpatrick. Al Rose's latest album is Again the Beginner, which is described as an urgent set of 13 good and true songs, one man's attempt to come to terms with modern times and that broken feeling everybody's got in the pit of their stomach. You can catch him Sunday, November 13th at 8 p.m., where I will be at Montrose Saloon, 2933 West Montrose Avenue here in Chicago for his second damn Sunday of the fucking month show. The website is alrosemusic.com. And I got to say, Al, 
that is the first pejorative that I've ever used in broadcasting in uh, about uh, 12 years of broadcasting. Well, thank you. It's it's important. And, and, and I sort of, and go ahead, please. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> I was going to say thank you, but also you're welcome. Yeah. Um, welcome to the show, by the way. It's so great to have you, man. Glad to be here. I'm happy to talk to you and happy to meet you. Also, I saw that you, um, I didn't read it, but I saw it up. I didn't have a chance that you wrote an introduction to a book that's coming up on about Leo Segedin. Yes. Are you, uh, are you guys friends? Are you familiar? Yeah, I'm very familiar. He's, I'm a friend of his and, uh, I'm, I go way back with his sons, uh -huh. um, Paul and Ben. Yeah. And, uh, I know Leo and we've, uh, actually we have, I have a, a restaurant a cafe and we have Leo's art on the wall. Fantastic. He's, he's an amazing artist and I love his work and I love him dearly. Uh, and uh, and Paul and Ben are great great friends. Uh, so I, I'm I'm thrilled we have that in common, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. This is a real treat. I've got eleven pages of questions. We may not get to them all, but I've got eleven oh, pages of questions, <laughs> forty two pages of notes. Uh, they're all in seventy two point, by the way. Uh, no, I'm I'm, mm -hmm. I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, but nobody has warranted that many pages martin barr who's a, a great great friend got like six pages denny lane and trevor horn uh maybe five so so no pressure well i i hope i have that many pages of answers <laughs> for you um, i got nothing in front of me i got nothing i got a glass <laughs> of water i got some coffee I have a pen and a pencil, but for some reason, as we're talking. Well, you know, I, I, this is this is my my inter interviewing technique is it's all about you, the person, and uh, so it, if uh, unless unless you're uh, cursed with many many personalities uh, or blessed with many many personalities, you should be fine. Okay, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm stable. But by, by the way. Uh, you're you're also the first. I, I I spoke about the explicit language. You're also the first to garner an explicit rating, not for language, but for blunt and brutal honesty in in language here, man. Uh, because this is going to be a this could be a great conversation. I I've gone through your music, your entire catalog, but I I have to say this: Am I the first to reference William Carlos Williams in in comparison to your work? Yes. All right. Yes. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that i was listening to a to a discussion of uh of william carlos williams work and i loved the use of this word and thought that it it really applied to to your lyrics that was appetitious this this hungering uh for for the use of words the love of words i, I i'd love you to um to talk about that a little bit well, it, ironic that what were you said? Appetitious. 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 That within my hunger for words, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> I never had either. Yeah. But uh, having said that, yes, you, I love words. I love the sound of them. I love uh, the shape of them, the look of them. They're musical. Uh, they could be blunt. They could be, uh, you know, to the point. You could paint a, a picture. You can go down a stream of consciousness. I just have always loved words. And uh, this is what got me started on this path. Uh, we've spoken about synesthesia. 
the pension of of particularly creatives to to either see uh, to to hear in colors to see in smells does does that apply to you? You mean seeing things or hearing things and words with colors? Yes, I've heard yeah. about that, but no, that that doesn't. Okay, it doesn't apply to me. Okay, you're also a visual artist. I dabble. Uh -huh. uh, I I guess if if you dabble in visual arts, that makes you a visual artist or or so. Many years ago, uh, maybe thirty years or so ago, I would spend a lot of time with watercolors mm -hmm. uh, and did a bunch had, in fact, one of the album covers is one of the watercolors uh, naked in a trailer from mid nineties, I think 96 or so. And yeah. I had a couple of shows, a couple of exhibitions around town. Lately, what I've been doing more of is collaging mm -hmm. something that I, mm -hmm. I picked up when I was traveling because when you're traveling, there's receipts and postcards and notes or things posted on walls. Yeah. And I would grab them and uh, I didn't know what to do with them. So I mm -hmm. started traveling with a little jar of rubber cement. And I also had the paints and uh, past oil pastels and things like that. And so I would just smear them onto the page and mm -hmm, glue them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's something that I have great fun doing. It's something, the visual art is something that I had that I started doing to get back into that child's wonder. One of the things as an artist, as a writer, as a musician, yeah. is to uh, is to maintain the newness, the wonder of things. And as you get older, for example, with songwriting, you know, well, I'm, I'm writing songs and mm. I'm putting out records and that stuff is being judged. And somewhere along the line, I wanted to start doing something that was not being judged. Mm -hmm. So I started messing around with visual stuff because no one cared and no one saw it and eventually they did but uh for the most part nobody sees the stuff i do unless i post something online on social media yeah i was i was excited to see that and, and really excited to see to see that that other side of you as an as an artist well it just creates balance yeah, uh, yeah. you know i i i do play guitar and I write the words and and that is part of my life but I'm also doing other things and yeah, uh, yeah. sometimes you come home and I'm not in the mood to pick up the guitar or pick up the pen yeah and yeah. so maybe there's a glad maybe there's a glass of wine in front of me and I just crank up some music and I just start having fun which leads me back to when I'm to doing that same thing when I am writing words and writing mm -hmm. music is to maintain that sense of wonder and fun and impulse does does one inform the other probably or, yeah yeah uh, i mean they're all coming from me uh i don't know if my collages or scribbles or sketches or whatever they uh in relate to my songs i don't know about that but uh you know they must inform each other because they're coming from my hand so let's get into let's get into the music inevitably artists are compared with influences or other artists and there's some utility and value in that in in helping people find you and and get to you uh, i was describing your sound to a pal in germany and came up with with this that you are the possibly the love child of john hyatt and Nick Cave, but raised as a foster child of Warren Zevon, maybe even co-parented by Tom Petty. I'm, I'm not sure how that works biologically, 
We'll let that people we'll let that marinate in people's imaginations. I've I've heard you dismiss comparisons to to other artists. So I'll, I'll ask you, who would you compare yourself to if you had to? I I don't necessarily dismiss comparisons to other artists because okay. when other people compare me, that's just they're using their frame of reference. Yes to talk with somebody else or to yeah. describe yeah. it in a written piece or in a blog or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone I mean, it says John Hyatt, who is it? John Hyatt and who? And Nick uh, Cave? I had, uh, John Hyatt, Nick Cave fostered by, uh, by Warren Zevon. Nick Cave. I've got, I mean, uh, John Hyatt, I've got nothing against, but I don't own a John Hyatt. Mm-hmm. So is he an influence? No. Nick Cave, I came to late. Mm-hmm. And I love Nick Cave. I'm reading his book right now. And I just, uh, I, I love his stuff. Mm-hmm. But I came to him late. I was already doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Has that, uh, you know, my listening to him or reading his writings, does that creep into me? Well, probably anything I do, any sandwich I eat, you know, according to Warren <laughs> Chiffon, uh, to <laughs> Uh, a side reference to Warren Zevon. Everything you do is going to inform what you do moving forward. So probably something that I've heard from Nick Cave has informed my stuff. Warren Zevon, I first heard him, you know, years ago, didn't go deep dive into him probably Mm -hmm. until late eighties, early nineties or or so when I was already doing this and writing. So it's hard for me. Uh, I know who I listen to and I know who I've listened to a lot over my life. Obviously, Bob Dylan, you got to start there. Yeah, I have. A, I was in a um, acoustic duo way back when I first got out of college mm-hmm. where we joked that the two of us wanted to be Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Of course, impossible. But I listened to a lot of that. Neil Young in particular, mm-hmm. uh, Lou Reed. I would describe people like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Lou Reed. Mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen those people are the main food groups mm-hmm. and and of, that's that's the dark that's the darker side of folk music um and 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 rock music uh but you also have this uh this kind of backward style sense of humor um reminiscent of of John Prine um, oh well John Prine absolutely John Prine and Steve Goodman were heroes to me mm-hmm. when I was first mm-hmm. Uh, banging on my guitar and writing my first songs and mm-hmm. I idolized them and I went to see them probably you know it, they were at the top of their game yeah uh, I probably first saw Prine in 75 or 76 or something like wow. that wow and what I learned from him I the the first songs that I was writing around that time before I heard John Prine I thought that if you're going to be a folk singer songwriter or whatever they called it back then mm-hmm. you had to write serious sad songs and john prine the first time i saw him and i didn't even know most of the tunes mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. He, they had that side that dark serious side but he also just cracked me up he was funny as hell yeah and it opened my my eyes to the fact that you could be yourself and if you have a sense of humor then let it shine let it come out mm-hmm. uh, not in a way that you're writing songs that are novelty songs or joke songs but if you got a phrase in a song or a way of looking at things that's a little bit odd or funny 
that's what I got from Prine and probably Goodman too. He, you know, and they were both great performers in different ways. I've been thinking lately about the people I meet, the car wash on the corner and the hole in the street, the way my ankles hurt with shoes on my feet, and I'm wondering if I'm gonna see tomorrow. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue. Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven. I was in the army, but I never dug a trench. Used to bust my knuckles on a monkey ranch. I go to town and drink, give the girls a pinch, but I don't think they ever even notice me. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue. Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven. Fish and whistle, whistle and fish. You sort of cut that lyrical line between that that sort of resigned uh, futility, I guess, uh, of of facing life in, in a humorous way of Warren Zevon and and John Prine. But what where does Al Rose's sense of humor come from? Well, it probably went back to when I was a kid. Any boy growing up uh, was probably my start was three stooges <laughs> which evolved evolved if, if evolution is what happens when you move from the three stooges to the marx brothers mm-hmm. <laughs> i love the the marx brothers absolutely and their, their improvisation their irreverence i just thought that was the greatest as a 10 or 11 year old you know that's kind of those were the seeds that were planted i suppose this is from your website i think this gets to gets to maybe a definition of your music. Dada gospel to caffeinated pick, explosive rhythm in uh, in sparest hush, uh, swampy improv groove, the country, country shine. I've never heard either caffeinated pick or Dada gospel. Yeah, they seem to, they seem to fit. I, I love all that stuff that was, uh, that was written. It kind of nailed a lot of what I was coming from, not just from lyrics, but also Mm -hmm. from the music, the dynamics in the music, the quiet, the loud. have the style that is only a little bit defined you it's country americana fusion with rock there there are jazz elements and blues elements you you kind of you kind of filter everything through your music to build your style yeah 
probably not a not a great business model if you want to try and be a <laughs> get songs and records out there. But, but it's cohesive. Uh, I mean, just, your sound is very cohesive, but it just has all of these beautiful uh, um, rhythms and uh, and influences. Well, it's not my intention to be confusing. And I would thank you for saying that that there's a cohesion mm -hmm. to it because mm -hmm. that's my goal as a writer is I want to take all these things that I've lived and eaten and slept in over my whole life and read and watched and filter them through me so that it comes out as a cohesive vision of what I am doing. I don't want it to be confusing it's not like I have a, you know, a jazz tune followed by a, a bluegrass tune or a, a ballad. All the stuff is mixed together in a blender rather mm -hmm. than in a mm -hmm. salad bowl, I think. Mm -hmm. No, if, it, if, it, if that makes sense to you. It does. It absolutely does. Um, before we start breaking down some of the songs here, uh, another key element of, of your music and your sound is the, the transcendos. Ah, uh, yes. We, we have to talk about them. Pony up the fences and belly up the horse. They're burning up the smokehouse with a contradicting force. And I'm forgetting all my mantras, forgetting all my lines. I'm doing all the lines of hope to the valley of the core group right now of uh, there's five of us as a core mm -hmm. four of us living in chicago and starting way back to the, the first guy when i put this particular project this band together my own band my own vision the first guy i got was the bass player uh steve hashimoto mm -hmm. and steve hashimoto was more known in the jazz scene but he could play anything and he has that that wonderful childlike wonder that I described a few minutes ago. But he was, I didn't want somebody to just lock in some kind of basic rock or country groove. I wanted mm -hmm. somebody who could play around a little bit. And there, there was an old club in Chicago. Do you remember the Get Me High Lounge? I do, yeah. Do you ever hear of that? I had, yeah. Okay, so he, yeah, so that was probably in the mid-80s or so, mid-late 80s, had its heyday down in Bucktown. And Hashimoto was a, a mainstay on that stage. And I went there often with my friends. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how cool would it be to get a bass player like Steve Hashimoto in my band? So I assumed that he was on a whole other level and pedestal. And he was playing with all these jazz guys and wouldn't be interested in playing with a guitar banging guy like me. So I assumed he had some students or knew a lot of musicians around town. So I approached him one time, introduced myself and said, Hey, I'm looking for a bass player for 
this thing I'm doing. Do you have any students or recommendations? And he was kind of taken aback. And he said, well, I'm interested in checking it out. So he came over to my house, my apartment, and we played through some stuff and we haven't looked back. So he was the first member. My wonderful lead guitar player, Steve Doyle, I think started playing with me around the year 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. So he's on 20 years. Mm -hmm. Drummer wow. Lance Helgeson, we've been through a few different people over the years, but Lance, I think, started playing with me maybe about, it's got to be 10, 12 years ago, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And that's the core band that are all based in Chicago. But I also have a musical compadre that I go way back from in college. His name is Maury Smith. Yeah. He lives, he's a great songwriter, lyricist, uh, musician through and through and he lives in Madison Wisconsin and when we when I in the writing process of the song I will very often send him the first drafts lyrics that have just been written mm -hmm. maybe I'll record a version solo on my phone and send it to him and we just love talking about songwriting words and we inspire each other that way so he's on the record all my records as you can see uh, he, he's played on all of them came down when we did the release show a couple months ago for this new record. And uh, I consider him as much part of the band as any of those other guys. And, uh, and also a, a really key uh, aspect of your sound is production. You and Blaze Barton. Absolutely. Yeah. Blaze is a, is a good friend from way back. We met when I, I was a janitor at the Chicago Public Library on the north side at the okay. at a branch at Southport, Southport and Grace. And he was one of the staff engineers at the original Acne recording studio, which was just across uh -huh. the street, Kitty Corner. Wow. And I had some, uh, I had recorded an album with Maury Smith, the guy, uh, and a couple of other people in my mm -hmm. apartment mm -hmm. on, and on a four track. And we were releasing it as a cassette only release. And mm -hmm. so I brought it over to Acme to be duplicated. And that's where I met Blaze. And uh, he's recorded and, you guys, and, and co got, co guys have been all, all my records. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys, you guys have been have been sort of locked together from the beginning. Let me ask you this about, about Blaze. When you come with new material or an idea, what is that conversation like between you and Blaze? So... Is is there is there a meeting of the minds? Is it is it like a therapy session? Uh, is it you know what what brings him uh, closer to to your vision? Got me letters Tuesday day reminds me of an alibi. I cannot read them eye to eye. Dissection day. I wear my message on my sleeve. This code's so old I call it breeze I cannot stand to see you leave Spent the winter on my knees One got sore, the other's fine I eat you like a fantasy Choke on butter, scrambled pain Swallow river, choke on rain Reminds me of the weather thing Hope is no friend of mine Hope is no alibi Hope is my kind of guy When 
it's time to when I have a group of songs, it's time to make a new collection, a new album. Mm -hmm. The songs are written. Mm -hmm. I'm working on them. They're they're pretty much done. I've started to teach them to the band, and then I call Blaze mm -hmm. and I say, I want to make this record better than anything we've ever done before. What what do we do? How 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 can we do that? And his his stock answer is pretty much, well, the main thing is why don't you write a good batch of 10 or 12 really excellent songs and mm -hmm. then we'll take it from there <laughs> so he kind of throws it back on the songwriting which is true that's mm -hmm. what it is that's what's going to make something memorable a great recording great arrangements great production mixing yes all of that counts yeah but if you don't have the songs to start with you're just going to end up with a great sounding turd or a well-polished turd or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And we've, so, we've talked with so many different, we talked with so many different producers on, on the radio program and on this program. And that's one of the, the most overlooked aspects uh, of, of a recording artist, of a singer-songwriter, is, is the production. And your production is, is spot on, man. Well, it's a, lot of, it's a combination of the arrangements the musicians mm -hmm. in the band mm -hmm. and obviously blaze blaze is right there if so when we're doing we show up and he's usually hearing the songs for the first time when we're recording the basic tracks mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the studio mm -hmm. but if something is cluttered or not working or not locking in yeah he steps in and says this is cluttered this is not working let's revisit this so a fresh uh, set of eyes more, he's a fresh set of yes uh, eyes if his eyes were ears that uh, mm -hmm. that's what happens. So he's hearing the tunes fresh when we're going in. And then I bring in different, uh, the band has already, we've already arranged the song. I've already brought in arrangements. We've got that down. Mm -hmm. It's the, the overdubs, keep it simple, let it go. Do the song with just acoustic and, and vocals mm -hmm. pile on. How about some tap dancers? How about some trombones? strings we usually have some string arrangements on a, a couple of songs per record yeah. the harmonies all, everything informs the, the final production and he works with me and he gets it down so it just works and we have a language together where i could describe something yeah. and he just knows what i'm talking about you guys have been together we, we for a long we time communicate, we communicate really well together and he's he's got the ear and the mind of a musician so he's not just technically proficient and excellent at the recording process but mm -hmm. he also understands music he's and played he's on he's great... played on some of your yeah wow. yeah 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 this last one he did some keyboard stuff mm -hmm. we've written some string arrangements mm -hmm. on songs on different records not on this one uh, but we've done some string writing too and he's great with that Thank you. 
you got the attention of uh, of some folks in in Europe, uh, Belgium, Holland, Italy, Great Britain, Germany, France. Um, ha- have you have you toured in Germany? Have you played in Germany uh, in in uh, Europe rather? Yes, but not Germany. I played in France. Okay, a few times. Sweden, uh, Paris, and uh, Paris in particular, and Italy. No, I haven't been oh, anywhere okay. else. I, I'm I'm waiting for. Uh, I'm waiting for the invitations to roll in for some yeah. festival to anchor some kind of trip yeah. uh, to get back to Europe because I do love playing there. I have toured three times in Japan, mm-hmm. which is ironic being a, a word guy to go to a place <laughs> where much of the audience were not English speakers. And most of them, it was f- absolutely not their first language, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but I, uh, I killed in Japan. Nice. <laughs> Big in Japan. Big in Japan as Tom as Tom waits. Well, you know, we we spoken with uh, Johnny Bergen a number of times. He's been on the show. He's a good friend, blues guy here here from Chicago uh, who did who did an album called No Border Blues in, in which he he performed uh, on the album with a number of Japanese blues artists. And Chris Impelitari is bigger in Japan than he is in in the United States as a guitarist there's there's a culture in in japan first of all that likes good quality music but is has also really latched on to americana influences and and i'm i'm wondering if if you could help define that a little bit i think it's has to do with the other why do i love listening to French cabaret music, Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah. These are these are songs that I, I, on initial hearing, of course, unless I figure it out or look it up, I don't know the the meaning of the words, but I just like the sound of it. Vous avez lu l'histoire de Jesse James? Comment-il vécu Comment-il est mort Ça vous a plu, hein Vous en demandez encore Eh bien, écoutez l'histoire de Bonnie and Clyde. Alors voilà, Clyde a une petite amie. Elle est belle et son prénom c'est... Bonnie that's where it starts with when I hear about the Japanese liking Americana and uh, folk and country music or in Germany, you know, country music being really big over there or something like that. I think it just, it's the, I wouldn't say the grass is always greener, but I think it's, it has to do with being intrigued by the roots of another. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just, I'll read this part uh, here from, this is from uh, Volker in Germany. Uh, this songwriter from Chicago could have invented winking. It's, <laughs> uh, it's all suggested by the lyrics of Sad Go Lucky. The design of the album and the website, what makes it interesting is the faint smile that hides behind every line. That's a that, that's amazing praise, man. 
Yeah, yeah. I would, I'm very humbled when someone across the street, let alone on the other side of the world, takes the time to listen to my music in such a way and take the time then to not only do that, but then to describe it in a way. Like I said, it, it's it's very humbling. Uh, I, I love it. All right. The music now, man. Let's go all the way back to your Buffalo Trout days. Dreaming dreams of trout. with buffalo trout uh teacher a very different sound than you have at, at the at the very least you met laura bligh uh who's appeared on a number of your albums oh yeah 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 uh, buffalo trout was a, a band that i put together with my musical partner who i met in college named dave mm-hmm. k mm-hmm. Uh, and we played as a duo starting in college and then when he was a couple years still is a couple years older me and when we got back when i got back to chicago after college we were going to conquer the world with our folk singing. And somehow within that first year, uh, we we signed a record deal with a label out of Indiana, Northwest Indiana, that was run and funded by a guy who owned the Hegwish Record Stores. Okay. And no record ever came of it, but uh-huh. we got enough of an advance to buy electric guitars <laughs> and amps and decide that now we're a rock now we're a band and we spent the next probably six to eight years six or seven years mm-hmm. until about 1987 88 we were in a band and he was a songwriter and i was a songwriter and we we didn't know what we were doing except that we were having fun making noise making big noise <laughs> i think that was a, a name of one of the songs that we that we had and uh, it was just it was almost like you it, it was university for playing in a rock band just kind mm-hmm. of finding your way and figuring it out somewhere along the line around 87 88 i started to have a vision that i wanted to explore on my own without yeah. uh a musical partner or another songwriter in the band happens all the time. Dave and I are still buddies. Uh, he lives down in Florida where he's obviously a rabbi. And that's when I, I put my own thing together around, you know, 88, 89. I think we did by the time I met Hashimoto and we put together the rest of the band. Yeah. I think we made our debut around 1990 or so. And then the first album came out in 94, in 94, right. Information overload. You pivoted really strongly from Buffalo Trout to uh, to that first album, 
you could have gone in search of of other band projects. Why did you decide to go solo in which you get to make every single decision? But then again, you have to make every single decision. Well, I, I had this vision and I had yeah, a bunch of yeah. songs. And it when I was looking for people to play with, find, looking for another songwriter wasn't what I was looking for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to find a group of musicians to take what I had written mm -hmm. and with the music to elevate it and transcend yeah. it. Obviously, yeah. that's why I came up with a, that stupid band name, Transcendos. And <laughs> I mean, I, I was listening to a lot of bands. I was influenced by, I listened to, a, there was bluegrass bands, there were folk bands, mm -hmm. for God's sakes, Great Dead. And I loved, exact, for example, The Grateful Dead, who is not too far removed from being the Marx Brothers of rock and roll, mm -hmm, yeah, you know, where they would start off with their scripted songs and their songs that they'd written. But on any given night, depending on which way the wind blows or what mood they were in, it was either more raucous or quieter. And then there would be sections in the music yeah. that would be improvisational. And that's what I wanted to do. Once you start doing that, it, it takes a nothing against bands that are fully democratic, but sometimes it takes one person in a band just to keep the momentum going, yeah, just yeah. to move forward. Cover up a mountain, cover up your face. History and travel, never leave a trace. Read between the lines. I think that was that was illustrated really well in that that last documentary about the uh, the Beatles, whose name escapes me right now. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I know that you seeing seeing the Beatles for hours in their well, first they had the luxury or whatever uh, to write their songs in the studio. Yeah, and yeah. for some ungodly reason, had cameras filming them doing that. Now, writing a song is is a hard writing. A good writing a song is a mediocre song is a lot easier, but trying to write a really good song or a great song, which is what all songwriters are aspiring to, mm -hmm. it just takes so much focus. And I don't know how they would have done it with cameramen and hangers on and people walking around. But if you remember from that, the, the footage from that documentary, they spent a good amount of time fucking around and noodling and playing old songs and rock and roll standards yeah. and just yeah. having a, just farting around and you know, a lot of people who I musicians who I, I know saw this or they were posting a lot on social media going, oh, my God, the Beatles are just like all the bands I've ever been in. They get together <laughs> in the sense of how they, they manage their time is what I meant, is mm -hmm. how the Beatles mm -hmm. were like every other band. They're just a bunch of guys messing around and, and noodling and having fun and having a laugh. And it's one or two of those guys are, are the drivers behind trying to keep that train somewhat on the track. 
Right. And in that Beatles, uh, in the Beatles documentary, clearly Paul was the guy that was trying to move things forward. John, when he was motivated, stepped up and, of course, knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And George was in a different place than in and Ringo. <laughs> uh, you know, and then, I, <laughs> and then there's Ringo. I, I had this conversation with uh, with Steve March Torme, the uh, the son of, of Mel Torme. We are talking about this uh, this very subject, and he's coming coming to it from from a, a singer songwriter perspective. I'm coming to it from from a lover of music, but one of the one of the things, and, and this 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 pertains to to your uh, your lyric and songwriting as well. One of the things that broke my heart about that was, I, I you know I, I lived for years on the meaning of Beatles songs for you know forever. Uh, you know if if you've got a broken heart and they're writing about you know a, a, about a breakup or whatever you know, you're, you're plugging into that only to find out that those lyrics are all improv. It's kind of the, the Phil Collins, uh, uh, a better version of Phil Collins in the air tonight with, if you've ever heard that demo, he's ah, la, 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 in the air tonight. out the words uh, you know i've been listening to to all of your your albums and the lyrics that you write are pointed and on target and specific full thoughts and you know and so i know that there's that there's fitting that needs to be done when when you match a, a song to lyrics or vice versa but all of your songs have have a message and i and and am i wrong in assuming that you that you start with a message when you write lyrics not entirely um, okay going back to going back to what you said about the improvisational way that some of the songs that you were referencing mm -hmm. begin i think it's important to remember that every art form every poem every mm -hmm. song lyric every painting when it's being creative essentially when you're making it up mm -hmm. you are improvising mm -hmm. and so you don't hear my stuff until it's finished and mm -hmm. that's a product that's a product of the editing process mm -hmm. you know so whatever the songs that that end up of mine that you're you're thinking of that have this focus and this point made don't it doesn't mean that i didn't start out one afternoon or evening or morning with a pen with nothing on my mind to write, but I felt something bubbling inside, but I didn't know what it was, but I had okay. in the, in the course of the so-called improvisational parts mm -hmm. of creating, it needs to spill out in forms until I could start to make sense of it. I've heard some people say that such and such a song came out fully formed, but in the case of a lot of my writing 
it starts off, I'm just clawing at I'm, I'm writing words, I'm going stream of consciousness, I'm riffing okay. on an idea or a thought or a rhythm, and I'm getting things down. And all of a sudden, after a page and a half of this, mm -hmm. there's a line that jumps out to me where I'm thinking, ah, well, that, that's a cool one. And then sometimes I'll take that one line mm -hmm. and start to mold and riff on that. And then all of a sudden, maybe a meaning starts to um, emerge mm -hmm. at some mm -hmm. point, but it's always, it's at a different part of the creative process where this meaning and this focus comes out. And again, I, I mentioned the editing process. That's where I, I'm cleaning things up. Can I find a better word for this? You know, there's a lot of back-end work in focusing and filing and getting things to the point where I'm ready to sing, teach them to the band or sing it out or perform it or record it. Mm -hmm. I'm a novelist. I'll come to it this way that we write draft after draft after draft and, and correction after correction after correction. And it's, it's very much the same, the same process. I'll read some great story or great novel or, yeah. and I'll read an interview or something with the writer who will say, I had no idea where this was, this book was going while I was writing it. It was being, I was going with the flow and I hadn't, I went through hundreds of pages before I knew where this was going. An and honest that, novelist. So, so that's the same thing yeah. with a, with a, with a songwriter. Obviously there's some songs uh, that are more inspired by an actual thought or idea where you start yeah. with a thing. Uh, one of the, uh, the mo more overtly political songs on mm -hmm, this album mm -hmm. set, said and done. As soon as I started getting some lines down, I, I was filled with, this is the summer of 2020. Uh, I don't know how much more I could have already hated Trump and <laughs> the Republicans and that type of thing. <laughs> COVID hits, the lying. I was so, I'm not trying to, to survive a small business when this is all going on. I'm reading the news and obsessing over it like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I was so filled with, with rage that I, I took it to the page and mm -hmm. I'm writing things down immediately. The stuff I was writing became obvious that this is what it was about. The song, didn't, I didn't start writing the first verse and then write the second verse. I spilled out my guts on several pages before I was able to take it. When all is said and done, now that common sense is numb, this story will be written in a cave. The present and the future are just bastards of the past And the calendar just takes it day to day When the gravy boat delivers all the gravy to the port We celebrate by dancing in the rain We take a bit for us and then we put some in a bowl And then we send it down the line by If I recall, um, I had written all the words to that before mm -hmm. I even picked up the guitar and started writing 
music, which has kind of been how I've lately been writing my songs. I've been start, starting with the words almost completely written before I write the music. So I wanted to go back to to the music a little bit and and particularly information overload. Uh, and on that album, you do maybe the best cover that I've ever heard of Buffalo Springfields for what it's uh, worth. It's a uh, soulful, thanks. funky version uh, mm -hmm. with those great background female vocals. Why why that song to cover from an Al Rose not known for covers? There's something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there He's telling me I've got to beware And anytime we stop Stop! What's that sound? What's that Everybody reports us going down There's bad lines being drawn Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speaking their mind Getting so much resistance from behind Uh, because those were the only covers that have all, all, ever been on any of my albums. Yeah. I think the the cover of Long Black Veil that's on that record mm -hmm. was a, a tip of the hat to the band mm -hmm. who I love and did love and was probably listening to a lot at the time. And Long Black Veil. And I had just started covering that song probably and i was really loving getting into it mm -hmm. and it was on their first album music from big pink mm -hmm. and so i thought well it was on their first album i'm going to put it on my first album so mm -hmm. i think that's what happened as far as uh for what it's worth we're probably playing it in some live and some shows okay it felt good and it sounded good and i wanted to have another uh kind of stripped down acoustic thing with with that gospel soulful vo voices and then uh, the women that were singing with me, Laura Bly, that you mentioned in some yeah, yeah. and uh, Melinda. And this is how we were singing the song live because they were in my band. They they did shows with me. And so I, I get to ask uh, about the other songs by Al Rose that probably no one else would would ask about or would dare to ask about, particularly on radio. But I have to ask you about Shut off of your Gravity of Crows album. I think I'd better hurry. I think I'd better run. I think I'd better understand that tonight I'm not much fun. I think I'd better leave the room. Crash the truck. I think I better shut the fuck up. I think I better stay the course. I think I better fly. I think I better hold my breath. I think I'd better try. I think I'd better shut my mouth before it opens up. 
I better shut the fuck up. I wrote, I think, most of that song in, in New York. Uh-huh. And I believe that I started scratching out some lyrics to that at a place that I love that I've, I've written songs many times, a great cafe called Cafe Reggio on McDougal Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I've camped out and actually had some great l- luck getting struck by lightning at Cafe Reggio. And I started writing that tune and then I went for a walk and I was at the time, I think yeah. I was walking up and down the streets. I had some time on my hands uh, to just wander New York. And I was the song, the, the rhythm of the words was going through my head. Mm-hmm. The vibe of that song is the voice in your head, your own voice in your head, whispering, I just, I think I better shut the fuck up. I could have used that voice a number of times in my life. And I, and that would change at, a, at an early point when I was writing that song, that it, the, the song is not, I think you better shut the fuck up because that that's not a cool thing to say in a song. I think right, it, right. it makes sense to turn it on yourself. Uh-huh. And that's how we approach the recording of it. If you could tell, I mean, if you recall from listening to it, it's very kind of close mic'd. I'm singing very quietly as mm-hmm. if I'm singing the voice that I'm hearing in my head. I think I better shut the fuck up. Other people have heard that and they think the song is about telling somebody else to, to shut the fuck up, but they've, they've misinterpreted and misheard that. And usually I tell when people say that this is what they've gotten out of the song, I think that's great because that's what music is about. Whatever, however you interpret it, go with it. That's, that's great. It's probably better than whatever I had planned, but So along those lines, uh, you don't shy away from social commentary in your songs, but you don't wear it on your sleeve either. You're not overly explicit. You talked about about Trump a a moment ago. You would never write a song in which in in which you're you're naming a specific person. It's always it's always in the abstract with with a broader worldview that, that I think lends, first of all, credibility and and legs to that music right correct and i think the a good reason to do that is if i'm naming names literally out loud in a song mm-hmm. that limits maybe that's going to limit the the sell-by date yeah. of that song because yeah. at some point no matter how big of an asshole somebody is or whatever somebody's done they're going to be that sentiment or that person or both is going to become irrelevant and so to try and make a song uh, more universal mm-hmm. and also to last longer, I could be just as specific without being blatantly specific. I think there's always going to be politicians who are doing what he's doing, unfortunately. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm still going to have that same rage and I could still channel that rage and sing the song live because it's a really fun, uh, cathartic song to perform as well. A, a great case in point is ashamed. Uh, and and you write or sing this. Uh, you kept the motor motor running while you dozed off on the couch. The world owes you nothing. The world owes you everything. You owe the world change. The world pulled a quick one while you turned and walked away. Now there's nothing spinning round and that sun ain't going down. 
I wrote a play uh, that, that had a couple of runs uh, a few years ago called The People's Republic of Edward Snowden, which which I, I'm proud to say Dan Proft attended. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, for for the 30 bucks. After each show, the cast and I did a talk back with the audience, and I almost used those those same words to describe how we got to this place in history. I, I told people nightly that we didn't fall asleep at the wheel. We daydreamed blissfully as we careened off the rails, and now we're we're overcorrecting with our eyes closed. I'd love I'd love love some thoughts about the inspiration behind ashamed well it's interesting that you mention ashamed uh-huh. with that I, the, this is a song that seems to me to have a lot of environmental overtones yeah. about what we've done to the world not just physically but also mm-hmm. <laughs> mentally mm-hmm. well, how we've destroyed the world humans that is but the, the start of that song and the inspiration you might be either intrigued and fascinated or disappointed to find out that it began, it began with an email from my friend and uh, compadre from Madison, Maury Smith, uh-huh. where I opened up an email one morning saying, I had a dream last night that I was putting together a stereo system in somebody's living room. Yeah. And I was on my hands and knees and I was running all the wires to the speakers, to the amplifier, finished it off. And this is all vivid dream that he's telling me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and at the very end i wanted to test the system which obviously had a cassette player and he said he took a cassette that was marked that had a new song by me and he put the cassette in and he pressed play and he said i heard this fully formed produced song and the chorus was you should be ashamed of this world you should be ashamed of this world you should be ashamed of this world yeah. And then in an effort to challenge me, he said, please remind me how the verses go. Send. I get that email. I read it. Of course, I'm blown away. I hit reply without thinking, type out the opening verse to uh-huh. ashamed. Uh-huh. Without any plan, with any any regard, the world owes you everything. You owe the world change or something, whatever it is. And then I thought, whoa, that's kind of cool. Let me see if I got a second verse. Hit return, typed out a second verse, hit send. Wow. And of course, he was shocked and surprised and happy to get that response. And then I challenged him and I said, you know, that chorus that you sent me, I've forgotten. Please Uh remind me how the music of it goes. Uh And he sent me some chord changes for that chorus. And I started playing around with it, with that chorus. You should be ashamed of this world. And then at that point... I thought, I think we've got a song going here. And then I took it from there and wrote the rest of the song. And so that one came out of left field. It it was a gift. Uh You don't get many songs from dreams or someone else's dreams. But after I wrote that, it didn't really occur to me or I didn't recognize the focus of that song of what it was talking about environmentally or like i just said yeah until i was done with the tune and looked at the whole and thought oh this is what i was writing about i think (laughs) i'm not i'm not disappointed at all by that story i think i think it's absolutely brilliant um you know i i asked this of of lots of artists and 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 that that's a bit of an exception 
to to a point i still don't know where i sometimes get my inspiration and i i continually bring this this example up it's the best example i have i have a beginning to a, to a story and i have uh, an end to a story or i have a philosophical question that i need my characters or my reader to to come to terms with or to answer in between is the life of my characters. And if I render a character as detailed as possible and give them life and give them breath, at some point in the story, I'm going to want, want them to go through the door on the left. And they're going to tell me, no, I'm going to go to th through the door on the right, or I'm going straight ahead, or I'm turning around, I'm going back downstairs. So my job as, as a writer, as an author is to get them to that final that final place by wrestling with them in the story to keep them going in the direction I want to, but often their intention will be very different. I don't know where that place comes from. Chris Impelitary is is a Christian. He feels it it's it's within him. It's from God. John Gallagher from Raven. It's it's all it's all within us. Uh, Carla Bonoff I just spoke with, and she talks about tapping into this universal consciousness. And often I feel that inspiration or inspirational moments come from someplace outside of me. I don't know from where, and and I'm picking them as ripe fruit. And, and I, I would love your thoughts on that question. Where do they come from? And yes, to all of those different things, sometimes the thought or the, the creative process, it's coming from, like you mentioned from Carla Bonoff, coming from a universal consciousness. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like it's coming from God. Sometimes I feel like it's coming from the devil. Sometimes mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. it's coming from my cluttered up head. Mm -hmm, Sometimes mm -hmm. it's coming from too much coffee. <laughs> I don't care where it's or, coming from. Or an from. email. Well, exactly. I, I, it doesn't matter to me where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah. What matters to me is recognizing it when it comes. Mm -hmm. I, I need to put myself or any writer or artist needs to yeah. put themselves in a position where they could recognize the, the feeling or the idea or the thought Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's that comes through they're all gifts i'm grateful when i have a goddamn idea because i know <laughs> the feeling of wanting to write something and like every other writer having nothing show up i know mm -hmm, that feeling mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's super exciting to have something in progress that you're going with yeah. and it's super boring and frustrating to look at an empty page or to mm -hmm. want to do something creative and have nothing show up. So mm -hmm. wherever it comes mm -hmm. from Thank you. ideas <laughs> in the universe or wherever they're coming from, you are welcome here. I also just want to, uh, and I'm done. That's the answer to that question. But I also, yeah. uh, there was two other things I wanted to address that you mentioned in your creativity and your yes. writing is that you mentioned you have a start of a story or a, a, a character or something like that, that you want to explore. Don't you sometimes uh, the idea that comes to you, might very well be the end of the story, but you don't know that it's the end of the story until you start to explore. And then you realize, oh, that idea is the end of the story. I need to get, I need to go back to the beginning and get to here. So writing is not a linear thing all the time. Yeah. Uh, you could start in the middle. You could 
have an idea of a line that ends up not being used in this song at all that's mm-hmm. going to be used in another song that will happen sometimes where i just start spilling stuff out and all of a sudden i realize oh i've got two songs i'm working on right now simultaneously <laughs> you just got to recognize it the other thing is you mentioned the doors the choices that you make as a writer mm-hmm. and that has been at the forefront of my creative process after i get to the point where i have something down mm-hmm. where i'm working on something either the musical idea or the the lyrical idea once i'm doing that all you're dealing with is choices at the end of this line creatively there's going to be many forks in the road that you reach while you're creating something and is that do i go left or do i go right well sometimes how do you how do i figure out how to do it in a song i'm writing is to go both ways Mm -hmm. i'll write verses Mm -hmm. or write music that goes to the left and then i'll take the song to the right as well and then one of them will emerge as the one that will be in the finished song you have to write I think many versions of the song. So I'll write verses that I don't use, mm-hmm. but I needed to explore that fork in the road or that door, as you mentioned. We get the social commentary. We also get this, you delve really almost brutally, honestly, with your own psyche. A melancholic refrain weaves through uh, through your lyrics off Sad Go Lucky and the title of that 2012 album. You write this, I've got $25, 26 debts, 29 wagers, and 35 bets. I'll bet you a nickel you'll get my last dime, and I'll buy you a drink every time. I burn every bridge when I'm halfway across. Uh, I tore up the ticket before my horse lost. This is some kind of madness deep down in my luck. I'm sad. I'm lucky. I'm fucked. I've got $25 and 26 debts, 33 wagers and 52 bits, and I'll bet you a nickel you'll get my last dime, and I'll buy you a drink every time. I burn every bridge when I'm halfway across. Tore up the ticket before my horse lost This is some kind of madness deep down in my luck Well, I'm sad, I'm lucky, I'm fucked I'm sad, go lucky, all the way home I'm sad with abandon wherever I roam I step off the cliff like the fool of the car Sad, go lucky and Maybe Carla Bonoff could tell me where I got that one from because <laughs> it, it came down and it was a gas to write and I'm, I'm thrilled with it. It, uh, it worked out. I, I will I will ask her. Um, All right. Tell me off of, uh, again, the beginner, the new album, uh, which is uh, which is just, just a gem. I'm listening to it again and again and again. Uh, oh, and, and still finding still finding something new in it, both lyrically and and musically. Tell me about Humiliation's little friend. Beautiful, beautiful little ballad. I float a raft down tricky river and hang on for life, carried by current away from the fight. I feel like. Bowling pin at gutter's end 
I got, I had the the idea of the lyric or the line or the word uh-huh, humiliation, uh-huh. little friend, way before I was able to to conjure a song out of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think I just wanted to start uh, I, life as a journey. And I think the opening line is, "I float a raft down Tricky River, a river called Tricky River." Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I made it up. I think. Uh, there's something a place also referred to as gutter's end <laughs> um, but i'd float a raft down tricky river and hang on for life so it's it's a journey life is a journey and we're going down that tricky river and i happened i guess as the narrator of that song i was humiliation's little friend and so i needed to it was going to be a rough ride rough ride for that guy now is that guy me probably at some <laughs> points it's me but and then the music of that it, it obviously it seemed to me that this was going to be a ballad yeah, this wasn't yeah. going to be a upbeat perky song for a week from sunday and and right now that's my favorite song off the album it has beautiful complexity a perfect disharmony a week from sunday light a candle walk across the burning sand Hold me closer than a handle. Let your guard down, take a stand. A week from someday, write your story. Scratch it out and get it down. Paint a picture with no pressure. Get dressed up and go to town. A week from someday, shed a layer. Let me see you in the dark. This was a song that was the last song written. I had already wow. had the rest of the songs written and completed and mm-hmm. talked to the band. I think there's 13 on this album. I had 12 songs ready to go. Yeah. And I think I even had New Year's Eve going into 2021, 2020 mm-hmm. to 2021. And if I may correct you, the, the song is a, re- a week from someday. Not someday. Sunday. Someday. Yes. Thank you. Okay. I thought you said Sunday. No, that's just my lips getting in the way. Okay. So <laughs> it was, it was the height of, well, the first winter of COVID uh-huh. and we traditionally have had uh, friends over to our house for new year's Eve, Yeah. but we weren't having a party that year, 2020, yeah. 2021, but our friends called and we arranged, why don't you come over at about a quarter to midnight? I think it was about five degrees out. 10 degrees i don't know it was mm-hmm. super cold yeah yeah i remember we'll we'll ring in the new year on my front porch they brought a bottle of champagne 
uh, for that couple. And then my wife and I had a bottle of champagne uh-huh. and then we counted down New Year's and we toasted the outgoing 2020, which was a hell of a year and welcoming <laughs> 2021, which turned out to be a hell of a year. Hell of a, and yeah. when we were talking about the future and the coming year, some by one of my friends said something about someday that, Oh, that's going to happen someday. Uh, and I said, well, probably not someday, probably a week from someday. And we all had a good laugh. And I just had a little thing in my head that went a week from someday. Maybe there's something there. So I mean, literally the, the, the next day or two, I, I sat down and started playing around and I, I wrote, I think I ended up even writing a, a verse or two or three that I didn't even use. It it, turned, it was a long song, started off as a, not a song at all. It was, mm-hmm. a, now that I think about it, it was a poem, mm-hmm. a week mm-hmm. from someday. It, each verse started with that. And there was a, a, a chorus of, there was another little bit. I sent those lyrics to Maury because there was a new group of songs. I said, hey, here's a new lyric that I just wrote on New Year's or New Year's time. And he just shot back, you've got, is there music for it? And I said, mm-hmm. no. And he said, get some music for it. This has got to be on the new album. Wow. And I, I took that shit seriously yeah. and I completed it because I wrote it after the band had already, we had very limited rehearsals for this record because yeah. during COVID yeah. we just couldn't get together and rehearse. So I had them come to my cafe. We would close at seven. The band would come at 7.30. I'd spread everybody out in different parts of the, the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then I would teach them these songs. I think we had maybe three of these rehearsals at the cafe, just holding it together so that we can go into the studio and, and get something down. I didn't have the time to teach them another song. Mm-hmm. So I decided to just write, sing this song, a solo acoustic, mm-hmm. and then add to it from there. Yeah. And then we brought in the wonderful percussionist, a guy named Heath Chapel who is the one of the original drummers of the Transcendos. Okay. He played on the first three or four albums. Yeah. And he's still a friend and still an active musician around town. So it's got kind of a quirky time signature. And mm-hmm. Heath is mm-hmm. just the guy to nail that kind of shit. So I, I contacted Heath and I sent him a copy of the, the solo version of the song and said, come on by and, and let's add to it. And then Powerful. Rachel Drew... Uh, came in and uh, recorded some harmonies on it. Oh, Rachel's Rachel's great. It's such a great, great song. Thank most you. Thank most alarms are false alarms. I can't think of a song, at least as it spoke to me, or a written piece that better describes the everyday stresses uh, of of life, uh, let alone the modern world. I had another restless night, and I'm running out. Got my goals and my thoughts have crossed the line. I'm just staring through the dark, mixing alcohol and rhyme. Most alarms are false alarms. Most regrets have legs. Hold me, baby, in your arms until the siren begs. Let me.
again with Rachel Drew on uh, Exemplar Vocal. Well, that that is a song that is, in my opinion, is about as well. I wouldn't say is about as straightforward as it gets. It, it isn't. It does have mm-hmm. some some more mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, image and metaphors going on. However, the the seed of that song began that uh, it was probably spring or so of 2020. The my business had been closed down for a couple months. Everybody was in lockdown and sheltering in place. And there was a lot of anxiety in everybody's life, mm-hmm. uh, mine being no exception. Mm-hmm. And I would have these these regular, these thoughts. I'd go to bed, I'd fall asleep, and then I would wake up at maybe five or six in the morning. Okay. And it would just enough time for my mind to start racing and wondering about paranoid and anxiety prone <laughs> thoughts that would stress me out. And one of those thoughts, one of those times was when we go to sleep, I, you know, we go upstairs, I, I turn the alarm on in the house mm-hmm. now, you know, so that if something, God forbid, happens, the alarm will go off from an intruder or whatever. Mm-hmm. And one night I was lying there going, what would even fucking happen? I mean, and if <laughs> alarm went off, what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to get out of bed and, you know, run downstairs and, you know, in in my underpants and and, (laughs) uh, confront an intruder. I mean, and I started to stress out that I don't even know what I would do if the alarm went off. I don't know. I was going down the the rabbit hole of anxiety (laughs) and then I paused myself and I had a moment of clarity where I thought to myself, whoa, just remember most alarms are false alarms. And that's true. Most alarms are false alarms. You'll figure something out. The, the car alarm that you hear down the street. I mean, why those even exist anymore, I don't know. But most alarms, whether there's an actual audible right. alarm, whether yeah. it's just an yeah. alarm in your head, mm-hmm. that I guess it refers to more of the alarms in your head. You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll figure it out. Most alarms are false alarms. You know, I, I could go through every every song on this album in detail. We don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. But I, I'm just I just want to hit two here. Uh, shooting straight uh, from again the beginner uh, your your new album smoking guns are everywhere the doors are wide open every time I turn around the ghost is picking sides and it seems that every string of lies is now a string of pearls shooting straight no longer is an option in this world smoking guns are everywhere and the doors are open wide every time I turn around the ghost is picking sides that every string of lies is now a string of pearls Shooting straight no longer is an option in this world Situations come and go and the stakes are getting high Every innuendo says it's better Make every straight line curl Shooting straight no longer is an option in this world Loaded dice and crooked looks are pissing on the bird That the line uh, about it seems that every string of lies is now a string of pearls yeah. Shooting straight no longer is an option in this world is a line that I probably wrote it could be three or five years before I wrote that song. Okay. It just needed. It just needed the 
the Phil. rest of it. Yeah. I just had to be patient. I tried writing something around it here and there over that period of whatever it was, three to mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. And then finally, of course, uh, it was pre-COVID, but it was during the the Trump era. Lies. People are saying shit that's just not true. Yeah. yeah. And it's be, it's becoming their truth, even though it's not true. And it was just so frustrating. And then I had something to hang my hat on, except for the fact that it wasn't just in politics. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. it's per- pervasive in so much of our culture that people are just bullshitting and lying at such a frantic rate that it's stunning. And it's uh, it's difficult to see people not be held accountable for the most part for their lies and their bullshit. So I just verse by verse, I just ran with it. And uh, I didn't want to make it just a political song, even mm-hmm. though there, there are those undertones or overtones. Same thing, I guess. Same thing. Their tones. Yeah. It's it's basically looking at at our culture of bullshit and liars mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. truth stretchers, and uh, that's where that song came from. It's a, it's really reached an astounding and alarming level uh, in in our culture and in our politics and social uh, social discourse. All of this is yours, baby. Every single word. Every time I write it down. The swollen river burns All of this is yours, baby Every single phrase Every line that takes a turn On every single page From the morning glory whisper To the sunset without words All of this is yours, honey All of this is yours All of this is yours, baby, every single line, every drop in every glass of overflowing wine. All of this is yours, baby, every single All of this is yours, overpowering love song. Everything I write and paint is for my wife. And I'm wondering if you might tell us ultimately who you're writing this song to or for yeah yeah that song i was thinking about my wife and the create what i'm doing creatively and um i don't write a lot of love songs those are tough ones to write yeah and this one uh, came out well but it, it bears noting that there's a woman named jenny beneman mm-hmm. who is a, a writer and poster of daily haiku mm-hmm. and she started a project about three or four years ago, I'm not sure exactly, where she would reach out to her community of songwriters Mm -hmm. and say, take one of my haiku and use it as a jumping off point and write a song. And then I'm going to have a a gig. We're going to do a show where you're all going to come up and I'm going to read the haiku and then you're going to sing the song. Mm -hmm. And so I did it. So that song came from uh, one of her haiku and I am pleased to say, because I do a lot of my writing, obviously, uh-huh. in the trenches here in my home in Chicago. Uh-huh. But that particular song, I I had that project hanging over me because there was a deadline. 
Yeah. And yeah. that's rare for me to be working under a writing deadline like that. I needed to present the words to her and the song to her by a certain date so I could be part of the show that she was putting on. Mm -hmm. And I was too busy at work and doing other things. And we went on, uh, we went on a trip to uh, Greece, to the island of, of Hydra, okay. where we went. It's where Leonard Cohn lived yeah, uh, and has a home. And I've always wanted to go there. And we went, we spent uh, less than a week, but, and one afternoon, I finally, I sat down with, on my, I had one Jenny's book of haikus on my phone and I sat down in the Harbor in Hydra by myself at a cafe. And I started going through and I started picking a few of the haikus and riffing on them and, and seeing what happens. And within due time, I focused on this one and I'd say I got about half of that the lyric of that written we continued the trip and went to paris for about a week mm -hmm. where i continued my work at, there and wrote the rest of the words there and then returned to chicago and wrote the music and it really has i really love it and it seems to have struck a, a chord with with many people because i yeah. i've sung it um i've sung it at a, a funeral um and you know things like that uh yeah it, it sort like of becomes beautiful. this definition of of love uh without i and and without ever using the word love yeah 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 you're right yeah the, the word love is not in that song but it's clearly a love song all right i gotta do i have to do one more um you said that uh a week from someday was the was the last song that was written for this album but you end with with a tune which i consider the essence of of art and full dignity and grace which buries itself in the recesses of uh, of, of my mind and and haunts our self-inflicted shadow so there's that that npr thing again tell us about why you chose that song to end the album with when you're going about sequencing a record uh-huh there's a lot of instinct it's it's like one of those puzzles where yeah. you're moving the parts down there's a little bit of the puzzle there's uh -huh. a little bit where I think about it like a like I'm putting together a baseball a batting lineup. Do you store do you, you know? storyboard a storyboard song uh, songs like you know like they do in in films with scenes where where you're kind of mixing and matching and working them around to see what what fits best where. I don't do it like that. No, I don't have a storyboard, and I don't really think much about a sequence okay. while I'm working on the record. Okay. When I'm when I'm finishing up that's when I start making lists. Mm -hmm, and sometimes mm -hmm. uh, with an album, I'll make 20 lists of, of sequences. And sometimes, and I think in the case of this one, it came out pretty clearly. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you got your leadoff hitter. You, you know, you want to have someone that's going get, to get you on base. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. that, the first song, Don't Know Why, also makes a statement about where I'm at in my life. I don't know why I try to fly the sky uh -huh. so high i don't even know why i try anymore but i'm gonna do it and that's what that song is again the beginner that was that's batter number two that's the second one yeah. uh you know the, the number three number four hitter you want to try and knock it out of the park a little bit but there's a classic when you're thinking about albums and i think in terms of albums the yeah. arc of an album and the sequencing that last song is very important and mm -hmm. you want to leave on some kind of vibe Yep. And I can't tell you, it just seemed to me as I was going through things that mm -hmm. didn't mean grace, the way that mm -hmm. song came out, the way that we recorded it, 
the way it sounded. I just thought this is an album closer. The new album, uh, the latest in a brilliant discography from Al Rose, is again the beginner. You can catch Al at the second damn Sunday of the fucking month show. Bring the kids. I don't. I don't. I don't think kids are allowed there. Uh, Sunday, November thirteenth at eight. Uh, 8 p.m. at the Montrose Saloon, 2933 West Montrose Avenue here in Chicago. Uh, I will see you there, man. Hear his music on Bandcamp and on YouTube at The Infectious Smile. We'll post links to those in the notes below, as well as the website for alrosemusic.com. Thank you, man. This was th- this was wonderful. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I do appreciate the time and the effort that you went in the deep dive of listening to the the tracks and all the the songs uh, from the Wayback Machine. It, very very few people, if any, do that kind of research and preparation that you did, and I, I appreciate it. It did not go uh, unheralded or unnoticed. Well, thank you, man. I heard it on the news today, a peaceful day at home. Just scattered clouds above the couch and showers by the phone. It's stable in the kitchen, but some garbage must be moved. They said you'd make a statement in the early afternoon. And that does it for this episode of Playtime. My thanks to Al Rose and to all of you who listened. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe for updates and notifications on all of our upcoming programs. For Playtime, I'm W.C. Turk. was engulfed in flames from some riots after lunch. I'll be waiting in the closet for the passing of the grudge. The film at 10 showed everything in every room. And every drink, every flame, and every crash, every chip in every glass. Come join me at the table before this friendship ends. The truth will stretch like thunderclouds, but only till it bends. Let's try to make it through this meal while we try to save some face. Let's sit together knee to knee, singing dignity and grace. When dignity and grace ring out, that's where the light shines in. That's when the window opens and it's where the darkness ends. And when the shadow lifts the veil, it's gone without a trace. We'll sit together knee to knee, singing dignity and ring out that's where the light shines in that's when the window opens and it's where the darkness ends and when the shadow lifts the veil it's gone without